The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! We're back. Another episode of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, a movie podcast. I'm your recovering host, Lee Russell. Uh, if I break out into fits of coughing that I can't edit out of the podcast in any good way, that's the reason why I'm really sick. Uh, I'm joined by my not sick co-host, Daniel Harper, at least not sick uh, physically. Not, uh, not, in the, not in the, I don't have a cough. I mean, sick is a relative term, you know, really. But. Yeah, but uh, how are you doing today, sir? Uh, doing well, hanging out. Been watching some movies, enjoying some some Jess Franco. Yeah, so I think we're gonna talk about that. Yeah, we got uh, two Jess Franco movies to uh, do tonight. Very interesting suggestions, not just from Daniel, but uh, from one of our uh, listeners. Who, who who was it again? It was uh, it was Henry, wasn't it? Henry, it was Henry. Yes, who suggested yeah. uh, at least one of the films on this list on yeah. our episode. So we do have some listener feedback we're going to get to here, and uh, we're going to talk about what we've watched in the last little while. Paul is supposed to be here. He has not showed up yet. Um, he is either on his way or he's uh, decided to watch the Joy Luck Club and skip the <laughs> podcast. So. Apparently, Jess Franco, naked women, murder—not his wheelhouse at, at all. So, not not something he's interested in. Apparently, yeah, yeah. You know I mean? So, I don't I don't understand it, but you know, hey, more, the more the merrier. All right, so uh, we will get to our feedback here after shaming him a few episodes back. Greg has come back. Uh, he's, he's just hit the ground running with some comments here. So uh, going to our Zardos episode. First, he says, shame this isn't a video podcast. You could have all done it in your red diapers. Well, we actually did do it in our red diapers. You just didn't see it. That's all there is to it. But we were very comfortable. And we all we all got to see each other. So that's all that's important. I was playing with my nipples the whole time. I mean, it was it was a thing. Lee was yeah. into it. Hugh Hugh seemed a little uncomfortable, but Lee was definitely he was smiling the whole time. It was great. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, Daniel, like David Bowie, the late David Bowie, has a nipple antennae. So uh, he yeah. was sending me- he was sending messages. It wasn't anything erotic. It was just like I get I get the message. I get the message you're sending me. That's how we do the back channel conversations on this podcast. That's how we like suggest movies to each other is through my nipple antennae. It's it's mm-hmm. a thing. Yeah, that's how it works. All right, uh, he's got more to say here, and uh, actually I'm going to get Daniel to uh, read the rest of these comments because if I try to go for any period of time, I'm just going to cough up a lung. So. Yeah, finally making me do some work on this podcast there, Lee. I, I, don't, I, don't, I do not appreciate this. It's, it's yeah. a really bad thing for me. So, um, But yeah, so um, Greg has to say about Zardoz. Interesting how Connery went from being, quote-unquote, the man every woman wanted to sleep with in the 60s Bond era to a murderer and pseudo-rapist in this. Guess he went to extremes not to get typecast. I could certainly see this as being a movie that film critics could spend forever analyzing, but taken as more of an entertainment product, I think it's it was just okay. What I did enjoy it more for was what it represented. As Daniel pointed out, it's a 70s pre-Star Wars sci-fi dystopian film and I always find those interesting as they offer us an idea of what society predicted the future to be. 
This being an era that was on the tail end of the Vietnam War and in the midst of an oil crisis, it's not surprising that this and similar movies portray the future as being so dirty and non-redeemable. It's what makes the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Last House on the Left feel like they actually have a hate on for the audience watching. This movie actually reminded me quite a bit of A Boy and His Dog. Similar setting, similar secret society, and a similar not-quite-happy ending. Zardar certainly did have a lot of thought put into it, even though I think it failed to do a great job putting a lot of those thoughts on the screen. Whomever suggested this might be better as a book is probably correct. I think that was me. That's right. And the multitude of random breasts on screen were certainly appreciated. Cheers and have a happy new year. I think he's pretty much just in agreement with everything we had to say about the film, honestly. And I think I think he's right. There, there was definitely a sort of a cynical vibe through just about everything coming out of the uh, Vietnam era, like just out of the tail end of it. So um, it, it wasn't surprising to see this stuff popping up. And, and actually, even just during the Vietnam era, there was a lot of just really dire... 70s and 60s science fiction that was like really nihilistic yeah no i mean there there's this certain kind of post you know nixon really fucked up science fiction really you know and and um over in the uk you know the kind of rise of thatcher you know the conservatism um this kind of idea that like we had this kind of big like liberal we're all going to get along kind of idea and then once um shit started hitting the fan with vietnam and with the death of uh, mlk and uh RFK, and uh, basically the optimism kind of fell from people's eyes, and I think that was a negative time in general in terms of like kind of what people thought the future was going to be. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, I've got a uh, at least one film that uh, kind of touches on this that I'm going to talk about in the what we've been watching section. But um, I really love the science fiction of that period, um, just because in that pre-Star Wars era, you really got some of these really kind of interesting, thoughtful pieces, even if they were kind of dystopic or dark or, or kind of grim. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of the rise of the blockbuster meant all of that went away, basically. Yeah. And he just got either remakes of Star Wars or later remakes of Mad Max. So uh, congratulations. <laughs> and now he moves on to our best of 2015 that we watched uh, show. And he has some thoughts on our Movie God game that we played on that episode. And then he goes into his top 10. So I'll get you to read that as well for us, Daniel. Sure. Uh, on our um, Movie God we played, he said... Harrison Ford versus Mel Gibson. I'd easily remove Gibson. I'm a big Lethal Weapon fan, not as much of a Mad Max fan, but still enjoy them. But otherwise, there isn't too much else of his I would miss. On the other hand, Harrison Ford has started some of my favorite movies of all time, including Star Wars, Blade Runner, American Graffiti, and Indiana Jones, so I couldn't get rid of him. He says Leonardo DiCaprio versus Guy Pearce. I don't really have anything against Guy Pearce, but I also don't really care much about the movies he's been in. On the other hand, Leonardo DiCaprio is, for my money, one of the best actors currently out there, and I would keep him around just for his Scorsese movies, not to mention his work with Tarantino and Nolan. Hell, I just watched The Revenant the other day, and he was great in it. So i got to strongly disagree with you guys here. i get rid of Guy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You're wrong. You're wrong, but that's, that's all right. <laughs> uh, you're allowed to be wrong. I mean, just keep listening. We're fine, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I mean, we, we I think we, we belabored that enough, so I'll just move on to the mm-hmm. uh, top ten, if that's okay. Yep. Um, he says, uh, I don't watch as many movies as you guys do, and I watch movies primarily for entertainment. So movies that make me think too much, try to push a social, he says a g- agency, but I think he means agenda, or have ambiguous plots don't necessarily appeal to me. With that being said, these are the ten movies that entertain me the most this year. Ten, Furious 7 and 9, Jurassic World, Car porn and dinosaur porn. I put these together as they appeal to me for the same reason. They are both fun and gimmicky action movies that stay entertaining throughout. Wait, was Eight. it called Furious Seven and Nine? Oh, it looks like he's uh, 
okay, he says ten, a Furious Seven, and then nine Jurassic World, because then he goes on to eight. So he's oh, okay. Furious Seven and uh, Jurassic World. Okay, sorry, that was confusing on text. So it was confusing when I said it out loud. But yeah. I just, I, I like an idiot just read what was in front of me instead of actually processing it and trying to understand what it was saying. Reading comprehension is not my uh, strong suit. Well, that that series is terrible for naming its movies, so that's why yeah. I was confused. <laughs> right. Uh, eight. Just before dawn. Of all the movies I watched for your podcast, this is my favorite one that I watched for the first time this year. I'm fairly well-versed on American 80s slasher movies, and this one caught me off guard. I had never even heard of it, but I watched it and enjoyed it, albeit probably not as much as you guys did. And I quite liked the twist about the killer and his and the final deep throat kill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven, Mad Max Fury Road. Really enjoyed the setting and practical effects, but I also didn't like this one as much as seemingly everyone else did. It's a very good movie. But I wonder if the praise for it stems from the fact that action movies are so mediocre nowadays as opposed to the merits of this movie alone. Uh, I would argue with you on that one, but... Um, I th- I think that's uh, one to come back to in, like, five or ten years and then, like, yeah. really consider it, so... <laughs> action movies suck these days. Yeah, that kind of depends on... I mean, you put Furious 7 on your list already, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, movies suck. I mean, there are two great action movies on my list from this year, but come on, movies suck these days. Let's see, uh, six, he says, unfollowed. Oh, I expect, God. I expected this one to suck, but I ended up loving it. While not as good as it follows, the seemingly dumb premise ends up working really well, and the movie is super entertaining and genuinely thrilling until the very end. I don't know this one at all. This is the one that is, it's a basically a found footage film that is all recorded on Skype conversations. Mm, and mm. it's, Greg, what the fuck are you smoking, dude? Or how much have you been drinking? Because... I watched this a little while ago, and I just haven't brought it up in the podcast because I just don't want to be that negative on the podcast. <laughs> well, apparently, apparently, I need to watch this thing, and we can talk about it. That, that I, you know, I think we, I think we have to. Episode forty-seven. Let's do it. Done. Yeah, All right. Okay. All right. Five. The Revenant. Very well done movie, and again proves my theory that Leonardo DiCaprio is one of the best actors currently out there. The bear attack is pretty grisly. Sorry. For <laughs> wah wah. Wah, wah, rim shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, four, It Follows. Not only the best horror movie of the year, but the best new horror movie in a long time. Mm-hmm. I loved the plot, the monsters, and how the director really has an eye for doing some creepy shots. Whoever is backlashing against this movie is probably the same kind of person that won't drink Bourbon County because they're owned by a big company. Good, good, good analogy there. I, I like that. Edit. I recently watched The Martian after I made this list. I would slot that movie right at number four as I really liked it. Best of these stranded in space with the crazy high CG budget movies I've seen in the last few years. Don't think I'd classify it as a comedy, though. I don't. I still. I, I am so confused by how that got classified as a comedy for the Golden Globes. I don't know what the fuck's going on there. Um, I don't give a shit about the Golden Globes, so I'm just going to move on. Three. Creed. I'm a big fan of the Rocky franchise, although many of the 80s and 90s ones fall under the fun-to-watch category, most of them the good movie category. This one is a legitimately great movie and succeeds at not only being essentially a remake of the first film, but also an excellent endpoint for the entire series. I'm hoping this doesn't get a sequel, even though I'm sure it will. I want to see that one. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm behind. I didn't see the Rocky Balboa one either. So um, Yeah, me neither. Two, Star Wars The Force Awakens. I'm a big Star Wars nerd and very biased. I love this movie. Well, I didn't hate the prequels. They didn't have a lot of issues. While not a perfect movie, this one is taking the series back in the right direction and gives me a new oh, hope God. for the future of this series under Disney. 
I'm also happy that it still feels like Star Wars, unlike the start and the new Star Trek movies, which do not feel like they fit the source material. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to go back to saying J.J. Abrams had get practice. He already made two Star Wars movies before making this one. Um, they were just under the. They just had starred Captain Kirk. So you know. Yeah. Uh, number one, The Hateful Eight. This is my favorite film of the year. I'm a big Tarantino fan, although not my favorite of his. It hits all the right notes. It's a testament to the writing when three quarters of the film is just dialogue and has me to the edge of my seat the entire time. But when the violence happens, oh boy, does it happen. I'll also point out how Tarantino has the balls to end the movie in a way that many will find distasteful and offensive, something I'm sure Daniel will have an opinion on when he sees it. This is a fantastic film. Also say that he sort of ends the movie on a uh, in an expected way. I think that's maybe the biggest fall of the film, but I... I won't get into it. We'll discuss it at some point. Uh, I'm going to have to see this film very, very soon so I can mm-hmm. uh, chat about this. So, yeah. All right. Cool. Um, all right. Uh, all thanks. The comments we have? Yeah, that's all the comments. All right. uh, thank you very much, Greg. Uh, and now we're going to get into what we've watched in the last little while. And I'll start off first just to give Daniel a little bit of a break. And hopefully I won't break into a fit of coughing here. Because I don't have notes to share of Daniel, so he can just read what I've watched. So, um, really, really, you just write what you want to say, and I'll just speak both sides into the uh, microphone. So, you know, yeah, yeah, it'd be great if every every week my podcast, I'll just get Daniel to say everything I wanted to say on the podcast, and I'll yeah. just sit here. That's great. <laughs> Basically, I've been sick all week, so I've been doing nothing but watching movies. But the only two notable ones I want to mention are uh, John Carter from 2012, which is. Basically a forgotten film at this point, I think. Uh, it's a movie that Disney put out that they basically just distanced distance themselves from totally. Uh, it, of course, it's based on John Carter of Mars, that old uh, Edgar, Ed, Edgar Rice Burroughs series, which is one I'm quite fond of. I've read a lot of the books. Um, it's a really fucking solid adaptation. Changes a few things here and there, but it does it in a well in a really good way. A lot of great actors in it. The special effects are really good. Great CGI still holds up. Holds up better than The Phantom Menace at this point. And I just, I'm just, I guess maybe The Phantom Menace contributed to fatigue for the viewer and they didn't want to see this film maybe. And also probably most people aren't familiar with the subject uh, or, or the source material. So that's probably why it failed. It's a great movie. Like, I really enjoyed it. It's a really great adaptation it mixes sci-fi with sword and sandal, and it's just really well done. Like, just incredibly well done. And it's kind of a hard Disney film, like the Pirates of the Caribbean films were. There were a lot of issues. I mean, the film didn't get great reviews. Uh, I haven't seen it. Um, I would like to see it. It's kind of on my list of like. Eventually, I will sit down and watch that kind of kind of movies. But let me let me ask you. Like, take everything you know about Edgar Rice Burroughs out of your head. Mm-hmm. You see a movie called John Carter. And you're not a movie nerd who follows, like, you know, yeah. what is that movie about? Yeah, yeah. Now tell I, me, imagine you see a movie called A Princess of Mars. Yeah. Which movie yeah. are you going to want to go see? You know Princess, what I mean? of Mar- Princess of, of, of Mars and the, uh, the the asylum there who do all the big budget ripoffs actually made Princess of Mars with Tracy Lords uh, and I think Antonio, Antonio Sabata Jr. Uh, well, that and, sounds like a version I need to see. Yeah, there. You know, it's actually one of those things where I I remember reading a lot of think pieces when it was like, why did this movie fail this hard? You know, because it was kind of forgotten upon release. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, well, it kind of. It was just like it was just gone. You know, I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it here anywhere in any video store. 
There was some sort of Disney boycott or something in video stores where I couldn't find a DVD copy anywhere. I couldn't even find it in the fucking uh, chain stores and stuff for rental or buy. Disney has their, like, weird things they do with DVDs. Anyway, <laughs> I, I actually have not seen the film, and I'm not going to uh, talk a lot about it, but there were a lot of, like, basically really bad business decisions that Disney made around this film. It probably doesn't deserve the nasty reputation it has, um, all the reviews I saw from like people that I thought were respectful were basically like, yeah, it's silly, but it's fun. It's it's whatever, you know. Like it's not yeah. it's not great. It's not terrible. It's just kind of yeah. It's it's you know it is it is what it is. But most people also that I I read didn't know the source material, so you know. Yeah, no, this is actually really good. It's a lot of fun. There are silly moments to it, but I mean that's actually more just world building and sort of brevity of character and stuff like yeah. trying to build some interest in it it's just kind of sad because it ends on sort of a almost a cliffhanger of sorts mm-hmm. where it's like i mean the plan was obvious that this was going to be the next big trilogy or whatever and they just fucking fumbled it totally and then you get something like johnny depp's lone ranger with army hammer a few years later and how the hell and that movie didn't really do did that movie make any money i can't remember if it did. i i think it was like I don't think it really made money. I think yeah. it was just kind of, you know, basically I've completely avoided all of those like big budget things that look stupid. <laughs> I yeah. mean, you know what I mean? It, I basically don't pay attention to big budget filmmaking anymore. Once you've got a budget of $150 million and you're making it for like the, the four quadrant audience and all that kind of thing, like you, you've basically removed any attempt of making something interesting. And I'm I'm just I'm I'm no longer interested in your product at that point. Except like, okay, I'm gonna go see this on the biggest screen possible and it will be something fun for my eye holes. And that's about as far yeah. as I take any of those movies seriously. But if you know, if you're a if you're a someone who enjoys, you know, cinema, at least for me, I mean I'm not trying to judge anybody's like viewing habits. Um I'll still see the like the Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff and I'll I'll see the the Batman movie, uh, the Batman versus Superman movie when it comes out probably. Um mm-hmm. But, you know, there's just ultimately a lot of that stuff just I, – I know exactly what it's going to be. It's going to be super populist, and I'm like less and less interested in things that are really populist these days because yeah. I just don't care. It's not I – don't, I don't begrudge its right to exist. I just don't care. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it is, it is a good movie. I, I actually like it. I actually think it's pretty much a great movie. I like it a lot. I enjoyed the fuck of it, and I'm really sad that there's not going to be any sequels because the rights have been – uh, released back to the Edgar Rice Burroughs estates, so Disney is never making another one, which is sad. And it's just a lot of fun. It looks really good. People probably looking at it go, oh, it's derivative of Star Wars. Why would I want to watch it? It's not at all. It's actually got a little bit of originality to it, like basically just compared to all the sort of pablum that is out there uh, as far as, you know, big-time fantasy, sci-fi, epic stuff in the last 10, 15 years or whatever. And, uh, yeah, it's just really sad that that film didn't get the uh, credit it's due. So um, I would, I'd recommend people watch it. I mean, if, if you've got uh, Netflix and you've got a nice little VPN service going for you in Netflix, before Netflix cracks down on that shit, jump over to the UK version of Netflix. It's streaming on there right now, so you can get it. And look, Paul showed up. Paul showed up? Ah, ah sir. That's all right. We haven't got to the movies yeah. yet, so you're you're safe. You're safe. Uh, so how was right. the... I didn't watch them, so you're good. Okay, yeah. So how was the Joy Luck Club? Because that's what we speculated you were watching. It was a little overrated, but it was good. It wasn't that bad. I watched right. Steel Magnolias before that, so I cried my eyes out for about three hours. Ah, uh, Dolly Parton. Yeah, I know. 
you wouldn't just cry your eyes out if you were right there in the room with her. She'd poke your eyes out. Yeah, um, that's all right. As long as I'm staring at her tits while she does it, I'm fine with yeah, that. That was the implication. But uh, yeah, and the other film I watched, I'll just say briefly because actually I want to review this one on the podcast at some point. Is Body Parts from 1991, uh, oh. starring Jeff Fahey. Mm-hmm. I just revisited this one on a whim because I saw it like years and years ago on VHS and forgot mostly everything in it. Mm-hmm. And man, uh, I don't really want to give my opinion on it other than I think it kind of dropped the ball a little bit. Actually, not a little bit, massively. But uh, I don't want to get into details. But there, there's a lot of good in that film, though. So it's actually kind of worth checking out. And you need, to, you need to take body parts and mix it with the idea of like the six million dollar man. So he's made of a murderer and biomechanical stuff. So he's like a superhuman killing machine. But he can't help it. He doesn't. You know, that would be great. But yeah, it's sort it's sort of the uh, hands of Orlac, sort of a remake of that, like the original film from the '30s, and then there was a remake in the '60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same idea though. It's like the idea of a body part transplanted onto uh, someone who's had an accident, and the body part was the body part of a murderer. Actually, that even goes back down to Frankenstein, where oh yeah, yeah, he built up murderers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Paul, anything you've watched in the last little while you want to talk about? No. Excellent. Daniel, you're up. All right, I got a few. Um, Paul will be happy. I've watched nothing this uh, week or a couple weeks that was nice. after, after 1978. Hey. So um, oh. um, Paul, Paul would be uh, eligible to watch all of these films. Um, Yay! Although he might not like this first one because it uh, it involves subtitles. I uh, did. I've been trying to make a, a kind of resolution to watch some of the classics that I never watched um, during my misspent youth. And uh, so I said I've never seen um, one of the uh, founding things of the French New Wave, and so I watched Breathless by uh, Jean-Luc Godard, um, 1960. Um, it's one of the greatest films ever made. I'm not going to talk too much about it, but um, if you're worried that it's going to be kind of abstract or French or, you know, New wave or whatever, um, don't. It's actually really, really effective and really well-made. Um, it really focuses on these characters of a uh, kind of a Bonnie and Clyde kind of story, although it's seven years before Bonnie and Clyde. And in fact, Godard was one of the uh, filmmakers approached to direct the Bonnie and Clyde film with, that eventually uh, went to um, Arthur Penn, I think. I can't remember. Yeah, that was Arthur Penn, yep. So a uh, great film. Uh, if you haven't watched it, it's absolutely worth uh, doing so, although I don't think it's streaming anywhere for free. Probably uh, not. You have to you have to pay $8,000 for the Criterion. <laughs> yep. Uh, there, there are other ways, and I found another way, but, uh, you know, it, it is doable. I think it was on YouTube for a while, actually. Great film. Check it out if you haven't. That's all I'm going to say about that. Great little crime picture beyond anything else, you know. Um, the uh, next film I watched was uh, from the 50s, uh, 54. It's called World Without End. Uh, this is a little uh, sci-fi picture, kind of B-movie, uh, about a, a group of astronauts who... Uh, go out there uh, trying to go around Mars and do like a little survey. They run into this temporal displacement event thingy and end up 400 years into the future. They land back on Earth. (laughs) Basically, the story becomes a a big, strong, manly man from the 1950s is really what you need to solve all of society's problems. Uh, All of the uh, men of the far future... They bury themselves into the uh, ground. All the women are not attracted to them at all. They have lost all their manly essence, and they are uh, completely unable to actually um, fight off the mindless savages that uh, actually uh, run the uh, the surface. 
actually a, a pretty decent little B movie, um, but uh, it definitely reflects the uh, ideology of its time, and uh, it's, it's probably worth checking out. It actually sounds pretty good considering I see all these guys with the really fancy hairdos and beards that think they're men but can't do anything, so maybe that might be it. But you don't have a fancy hairdo, you're just sexy. I'm not talking about you. Well, you know, I got I got a beard, so, you know, that's that. Yeah, and uh, so that goes back basically back to the sort of running motif now that's been going through this podcast where basically the whole the whole plot of the film is that all this world really needs is a good deep dicking. <laughs> yeah, no, that, 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 that's pretty much it. I mean, I actually found it um, the, the title just because I was on Twitter and somebody was watching it. Like one of my, one of just the people I follow on Twitter was watching it and then like screen capped. And there's literally a moment in the film where um, one of the women who lives in this underground society basically like sees one of these guys with his shirt off and is like, "Oh, you're strong and muscular, unlike the men that we have," you know. And uh, I mean, it, it, it's very overtly uh, a, a film about like. Uh, you know, you need a big manly man and not one of these feet, you know, intellectuals to, to run society, you know. Hey, you can be smart and muscular. Come oh, I, I, I'm in I'm in no uh, disagreement with that, actually. Going on the same general uh, principle, I watched a... This movie is on Netflix, um, and it's uh, from 1954, um, directed by Otto Preminger, and this is River of No Return. This mm. is the um, Robert Mitchum, huh? Marilyn Monroe Western. This is a, a film that is a, a, you know, it's interesting watching these like completely unreconstructed westerns because I think if you're used to spaghetti westerns where they're 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 doing a little bit more kind of interesting things about like race and you know about the role of, um, you know, the the uh, non-white people in the cast and that sort of thing, then watching one of the early ones, which is not a bad movie, but it definitely is, uh, uh, you know, it the 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 red savages are just going to come and take your stuff if somebody steals your gun. That's right. the that's the point of this film because there's a card sharp who uh, takes uh, Robert Mitchum's gun, and then he ends up having to immediately leave his home that gets torched literally two minutes on screen time after this guy takes his gun because the the red savages have just destroyed everything um, in in his life um, at that point. But he does get to bang Marilyn Monroe at the end, so yeah, yeah. there is that. Uh-huh, there you go. I I wasn't gonna mention a movie, but I will because I watched it and I actually really liked it. it says it's called Some Like It Hot, and it has Marilyn what? Monroe in it. And I've never watched a Marilyn Monroe film, and it was Jack Lemmon, his co-star, has to go drag, and to to hide Tony from the Curtis. Yeah, Tony, Tony Curtis. Curtis. Thank you, Tony Curtis, to hide from the mob, and uh, they join a girls band, and actually it's a real fun movie, and. And I watched uh, Marilyn Monroe in it, and I was actually like, "Oh wow, that's Marilyn Monroe. She actually is uh, Dreamboat." Okay, cool. There, there is. Like her. Some like it hot is. Some like it hot is one of the greatest comedies of all time. It's really good. Yes, I there, really like. There is an early uh, Marilyn Monroe film. I can't think of the name right now, but it's uh, early appearance by her. It's a film noir about. Uh, it's it's basically a heist movie. And I, I can't think of the fucking title right now, but it's really fucking good. And she looks really fucking good in it. Like, I think that's the best she's ever looked in a movie. Really super hot. Marilyn Monroe kind of gets type... I mean, we kind of think of her as, like, gorgeous but dumb. But really, she was... The, the actress was, was very savvy about kind of what she picked and the way she she did her thing. Um, she just tended to... She got typecast to play ditzy blondes, you know? She's, I mean, uh, some like it hot. I mean, that that's a that's a phenomenal movie. I would recommend that to, to anybody. I'll also say I've actually uh, the hotel where they shot some like it hot um, is uh, the Hotel Dell. It's in Del Mar, California, and I have visited that hotel. 
Um, cool. it's, it's actually um, it's actually like a tourist attraction. It's it's on um, uh, God, what's the island? Uh, Coronado Island, um, where there's also a great brewery called Coronado Brewing. So, uh, go check out the hotel and the brewery. They're about a couple miles from each other. So. Um, sorry to sorry to step on yourself like a hot, but uh, I love that. Oh, no, no, so. no, 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 that's good. I wanted someone to step on it hard. Yeah, yeah, but that, no, that's good. Oh, that's good. I I'm glad you like it too. I, yeah, no, it's it's phenomenal. Yay! I also watched uh, Switchblade Sisters, which is also on on Netflix. Uh, this was the first time I had ever seen that. If you if you want a conflation of uh, radical left wing politics and uh, girl gangs. That's kind of what this movie is. Uh, yeah. It's a fun watch. It's it's got some uh, some some nifty action sequences, and uh, it's about ninety minutes long. And um, you know, hugely influential on Tarantino. Uh, I mean, he he marks that as one of his favorite films. And uh, all uh, I'll say is, uh, anybody who says that Tarantino just rips off from things that he likes, you know, like I mean, he 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 definitely apes some style. But he's also like to to compare something like Switchblade Sisters and like Death Proof. These are such very very different films thematically. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. in terms of structure, I mean, it's it's night and day difference, you know. So um, yeah, good film. Definitely check it out. It, it's worth watching. Yeah, I think he re- I think he released that on uh, when Tarantino had that little imprint for a while there, where he was releasing yeah, DVDs. Uh, Rolling Thunder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The version, the version that's on Netflix. If you watch it, actually has the um, the Rolling Thunder and Miramax uh, imprint across. Ah, the right on. One more, and um, you've seen this one. I got this one from you, Lee, and that was Heroes of the East. Right on. Super fun, uh, Shaw Brothers film. Uh, yeah. Just I, I had forgotten exactly what you said about it. I just kind of put it on, and um, the, the other night, Shane and I were sitting and watching it. My wife, who spent a semester in China, so she was definitely like, "Where did they shoot this? Have I been there?" She, she had this kind of moment, and I, and I'm like, "Hey, that's fine." But um, we thoroughly, we both thoroughly enjoyed it. It's got a lot of uh, fun stuff. Lots. Of, I mean, the last hour is basically straight up action. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's very much just kind of fun, goofy. Um, you know, kind of kung fu action stuff, and uh, I do have some thoughts about the film, but I think I'll I'll kind of leave it at that for now. It, it's definitely worth watching. Um, it wasn't quite the film I thought I was gonna get when I put it on, but uh, it's a lot of fun anyway, and uh, it's worth checking out. Yeah, the two the two halves of that film are like almost drastically different in a way because it, it starts almost like a kind of a battle of the sexes romantic comedy yeah. kind of thing, and then it turns into a straight up like seri- almost serious like. Uh, Here's kung fu styles being pitted against uh, Japanese martial arts styles. It kind of drops the earlier plot to a large degree. I mean, it, it drops it drops the plot entirely. I mean, yeah, basically, yeah. you know, the girl goes away and then she comes back and is like, "Oh, I'm so sorry." I went and like there's there's just completely oh it just it, the entire first half just motivates all the action stuff in the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Where I kind of thought like originally there's going to be this film that's kind of about like. This man and his wife like learning to like come to love each other through their martial arts prowess, which I was like, this is kind of a fascinating little document. Um, and it ends up basically being Chinese propaganda. So you know, they're, well, yeah. they're, you know, but it's probably the most liberal of Chinese propaganda, where it actually gives the Japanese like equal footing to a certain degree. Right. <laughs> they, don't, they don't all have Hitler mustaches. Exactly. No. That's no. the thing. Oh, that's whole. And man, I love I love the final guy's fucking crab style, where, where he's fucking yeah, no. like a fucking crab. That's fucking badass. But um, yeah. no, I, I watched uh, River of No Return and Heroes of the East back to back. You know, just kind of on on Netflix. And uh, Shana uh, definitely told me I would much rather watch the uh, the kung fu films than another fifties western. 
was like, all right, we're 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 good. So uh, I'll probably watch some more of those. There are quite a few of those on Netflix right now. So uh, um, I've got uh, Crippled Avengers on for uh, hopefully I'll get that watched. Before oh yeah, week. So, right on. Yeah. Fortunately, I didn't watch too much. I should have, but I didn't. Uh, you know, I did have my time off after I rolled my truck, so I should have watched some things. But the kids were off too, so it was lots of Smurfs stuff like that. So, well, hey, what can he do? Well, Smurf it, I guess. Fuck. Well, Smurf you know, how dare you like actually care about your children? Come yeah, on. yeah, I know. Son of a bitch. Sacrifice your children on the altar of they must be destroyed on sight. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tempt me. Calm down. <laughs> All right, so I guess we'll move on to the uh, actual films that we watched for this that, week. That you guys watched. Yeah, well, I, I assume you watched them at some point. So you I watched might... them once about ten years ago, so we're, we yeah, got so it. You, you should vaguely remember We got, we got this by the ass. Yeah, we got this by the ass. <laughs> that, that will be more uh, pertinent in a couple episodes, by the way. Oh, yes. Those for the listeners out there. So uh, we'll start off of 1971's She Killed in Ecstasy. Dies hier ist das Endprodukt meiner Forschung. Welche unbekannten und tödlichen Leidenschaften treiben diese Menschen in den Abgrund? Ein toter Mann wurde für all diese Verbrechen verantwortlich gemacht. vom Zwang ihrer Leidenschaften getrieben. Gib ihn. Sie, sie kamen und haben alles vernichtet. Inspektor, eben ist die Leiche des Professors gebracht worden, der neulich bei Ihnen im Büro war. Über und über mit Stichen bedeckt. Die Leiche ist scheußlich zugerichtet. Die Polizei folgt mit Grauen den blutigen Spuren. Was ist das nur für ein Mensch, der all diese Taten begeht? Ein harter, schockierender Film der schonungslos die Abgründe menschlicher Begierden aufdeckt. Written directed by Jess Franco, starring Soledad Miranda as Miss Johnson, Fred Williams as Dr. Johnson, Iwa Stromberg as Dr. Crawford, Paul Muller as Dr. Franken Houston, Howard Vernon as Professor Jonathan Walker, 
Horst Tappert as Polizen's inspector, I guess as police inspector and fucking... The Polizei. The Polizei. Yeah. Poland's Eye Inspector. Jess Franco himself is Dr. Donan, and then there's a couple other people. Who cares? Daniel, were you going to uh, sort of give synopsis of these? Yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to... Uh, I didn't write them down this time, but I'm going to start actually trying to do plot synopses for assuming to try to reach out to audiences that haven't seen these films. I was going to say, um, this one is easier than the other one. Oh, definitely. You know well, what I mean? The, the, uh, summarizing the plot of the other one, I, I basically end the plot summary in the first 15 minutes of the film. Um, yeah. yeah. So so uh, basically this is a film where um, a, a young, handsome doctor, Dr. Johnson, uh, is uh, doing uh, medical experiments on human-fetus hybrids, is uh, stopped in doing so by a uh, horrifying... A review board that finds his actions reprehensible, uh, despite being uh, largely reasonable human beings who uh, just don't want um, horrifying Mengele-type medical experiments from being done. And um, the uh, the young doctor, uh, so despondent over being uh, vilified in the media and by the villagers and uh, by the uh, by his profession, despite uh, receiving. Uh, copious amounts of nudity and sex from his uh, gorgeous wife, uh, decides to slit his wrists. His, his wife, uh, despondent over his death, takes out revenge on the uh, members of the uh, medical board um, by killing them one by one, usually in the heat of sexual ecstasy, hence the title. The film ends with her deciding to take her husband's corpse and uh, loading it in the vehicle and then uh, crashing into a... Um, uh, ravine or something. Off so, a cliff. Into off a thing. cliff, yes. So, and then you get the uh, the police inspector who's been uh, kind of idly following behind, uh, <laughs> with doing, doing absolutely nothing of any importance, and in fact poo-pooing the very idea that um, these people are actually under threat of death. Um, basically, making a uh, a statement to the uh, to to the audience that the reason this woman did this was because uh, she, she had no control over her actions. Yeah. Uh, which I, I think is, um, I have some thoughts about that. But, um, okay. yeah. How do, you, how do you feel about that plot summary there, guys? That's very good. That's very good, good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is... Oh, I, I just want to make sure, I, I want to see how I can convince my wife to wear tin cans as a bra. I want yeah. I want to find that out. It's very important. It, it helps if it, it helps to be in the year 1970. It, oh, okay. We'll okay. have to go back. Not the way back machine. So, like it, it's. I'll just start off by saying it, it's no. Uh, it's really anyone who's followed Franco. It's it's no secret that he he had a big, big, big love of Soledad Miranda, and he was planning on making her his big star. And this movie just gazes at her for the entire film and uses her beauty to its fullest extent. Like she just looks fucking hot. Yes. No matter what she's doing in this film, it's absolutely stunning. You can't take your eyes away from her. Just beautiful all the time. I mean, even if this film had the most inconceivable bullshit plot, like like a lot of Franco films tend to have, mm-hmm. you could still watch it all the way through, just, just for solid end. And her she's... atmosphere has the same kind of vampire lesbos atmosphere when she's going around kind of the castle-looking thing, you know, walking mm-hmm. around and stuff. She has that, that cape on, and yep, she has cape. almost like a, a rabid wolf or tiger kind of look to her when she kills in the yeah, yeah, yeah. And it Oh, it's hot. Let's just say that. There you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, this this movie basically... It was it was filmed in 1970 with Vampiros Lesbos and a couple other films at that point, 
So it actually does retain a lot of the same cast and uh, a lot of the same production and crew and everything. So uh, the soundtrack album itself features cuts from Vampiros Lesbos, this film, and I believe one other film. I can't remember what it is at the moment, but uh, this was all done basically in one year. So this is like Franco just going nuts and making films. Yeah, I mean, this was literally made like a couple of weeks after Vampiros Lesbos. Like they wrapped one, and then this—I mean, it's it's essentially the same cast. And I—that's I, how I filmed this film. Actually, I was uh, when I was kind of researching Vampiros Lesbos when we were doing that one. I uh, saw this title. I mean, she killed an ecstasy. Like, how amazing a title is that? Yeah. And I thought, like, what is this film? I saw it referenced. I read the Wikipedia page and went, "I need to watch this." Found it, watched it, loved it, and said, "Okay, we got to do this on the on the show." Um, so we, I can force you guys to... Uh, um, I'm becoming something of a fan of Jess Franco, which I did not expect to happen. I, well, I think after he's, watching uh, Zombie Lake, I can't blame you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you guys started me on Zombie Lake. You guys are assholes. <laughs> That's well, like, look at it this way. You had nowhere else to go but up after that. But. Well, you did Zombie Lake, which I actually might revisit Zombie Lake. Oasis of the Zombies can go fuck itself, but, yeah. you know... It's um, waiting for you in hell, Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really... Uh, what, I f- what I found fascinating about Franco in general um, is he really has an eye for imagery, and he, and he um, blurs the line between fantasy and reality, um, even in uh, She Killed an Ecstasy, which has no uh, specific supernatural element. You know, I mean, this is, this is, this is a straight-up, like, this woman's just going around and murdering people. Yeah. But um, certain elements of it, you don't know if it's really happening in real life or if it's in her head. Um, there's a particular sequence where, like, kind of physically couldn't have happened the way that it's shown on screen. And so you do kind of kind of get the idea that maybe this is like just a revenge fantasy that she's having uh, this whole time. Uh, this blurring of the lines, usually I find that to be um, off-putting in a film, you know, when, when it is like, oh, is it real or is it not? But it, I think it's subtly done. These two films both kind of have that, that element of, like, we don't quite know what's exactly happening. And we're kind of following along the psychology more so than the, you know, the, the kind of literal plot of the thing. You know, I think it, it works on a psychological level. I've actually watched this film two or three times now um, because I, I find it just kind of fascinating um, on, a, on, a, on a cinematic level. This film and um, Vampiros Lesbos and then to a lesser extent, well, I don't know, not to spoil it, um, the other film we're going to talk about, I, I think, it makes me wonder what this guy would have done with the budget. You know, what this guy would have yeah. done with, with, like, you know, because you look at somebody like... You would have you bought know, more naked women. <laughs> yeah. you, you think about somebody like De Palma. You know, De Palma doesn't do anything that, you know, that, that Franco wasn't doing, you know, to, to a large degree. It's certainly in his early stuff. Um, so, so you do kind of wonder, like, if, if, this, if Franco had had... You know, instead of making four films in, in four months, if he had had a little more time and, and energy and a little bit of more money, you wonder what he might have been able to accomplish. Um, and that's kind of where I land on that. But I, I love this film, um, and I could talk about it for a long time, but I'll let you guys talk. So. No, you should, because i got nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> you got you covered it pretty well. I mean, you're like spot on to what I thought. So it's like, wow, okay, good. You, you watched it way more than I have now, too. So you are the aficionado. Right now. <laughs> I am the she killed an ecstasy expert at this point. Exactly. I really enjoyed this. I, honestly, um, out of all the films from Franco that I've seen, and I've seen a little bit more than a handful, 
in in my in my life. This is actually my favorite now. Like I hadn't seen this one before, and this is probably his most comprehensible one that you can just get into and follow without having to really worry about much. There is a little bit of maybe ambiguity here and there, but I don't know if it's so much intentional as it is maybe just sort of a budgetary kind of thing where oh we can't go back and reshoot that, so we had to leave maybe something in. I was for a while there wondering if she had you know actually procured her husband's body and was keeping it in her house or if she was just imagining it and talking to nothing because there was a shot later on in the film where she's by his body and then it zooms in close to her head and then it pans out again and I was like oh they're going to pan out and he's not going to be on the bed and she and it's going to show that she's totally not only she's totally bonkers she's seeing things too and right. you know and that would have been actually that probably would have made the movie even better for me if I had seen that but Still, the idea that she somehow managed to steal her ex-husband's uh, body and uh, keep it in her house. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, great. Uh, the detective is fucking useless. Uh, the mm-hmm. character feels like he's just put in there to uh, basically mock the institution of the police, uh, which I think is probably sort of a theme that probably runs through Spanish and Italian films to quite a degree. It's either You mock the police... You mock the government, you mock the church, uh, because those are all the institutions that have oppressed those countries for years and years, especially like during World War II and then after World War II. So Mm -hmm. there you go. You you have to see that sort of thing flow through a lot of these films. I I liked uh, actually liked the performances. I thought they were fairly well done. Shout out to Howard Vernon for going nude and showing his uh, meat and potatoes for very briefly. Uh, before she cut him off. Uh, and man, she really got into the killings too. When she was killing a dude, he, she immediately went to the crotch and started chopping. I mean, <laughs> and yeah, uh, again, just focused on Solid Ed Miranda. Great performance. Major shame that she died so young and this oh, yeah. was basically her last film, essentially. Yeah. And that was uh, Lena Romney after that we had. And mm-hmm. she, wasn't, she wasn't as and hot. She, well, not, not only that, but she wasn't. A great actress. A great actress. Yeah, yeah. But Solid Ed Miranda actually had the potential to be like a breakout star and become like a really great European actress. But uh, like yeah, like Carolyn Monroe or whatever. She yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, I think she's actually a better actor than Carolyn Monroe. Yeah, Carolyn Monroe's good, but I think I think I think Solid Ed is even better. Yeah, I think she is. Was whatever. Yeah, it was. Yeah, she uh, she has such a such a presence like this. Like, I mean, and it's easy to kind of, well, she's gorgeous. I mean, she's obviously gorgeous. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. like like there's there, but she's not just gorgeous. But there's you know, a mysterious kind of atmosphere. There's, there's, there's this fascinating quality to her. She has this real like star quality screen presence that animates both Vampiros Lesbos and this. You know, to mm-hmm. to to a large degree. I mean, it's it, you just can't take your eyes off her. You said that earlier, Lee, and I again that like she's the reason I was like I have to like see just another film she's in. And um, you know, I think really an evening with Vampiros Lesbos and then this is a is a great like. Yeah, it's a great, great double bill. It is. The funny uh, thing is, the one that I watched is an old bootlegs DVD that I got. It's it's swept around. It's either in German and the the subtitles are in French, or it's in French and the subtitles are in German. So I was fucked either way. So it was more just like watch and enjoy the fantastic imagery, you know. Unfortunately. Yeah, and it was it was a German Spanish production, and honestly, you don't. I guess you don't necessarily need this dialogue 
all that much because there, there's not a, a lot going on dialogue-wise. I mean, I I watched it the first time with a subtitle track that was not uh, lined up properly with the film. Oh, I, yeah. I found a subtitle track, and I there was a long story behind me, like finally tracking down a, a synced up mm-hmm. version of this. Um, so I was I was kind of I was like, okay, I'll put it on, and I'll like it'll be five seconds off, and I'll figure it out. And then it gets further and further off the version I had, <laughs> and it just became like you'd you'd watch a scene, and then three minutes later you'd find out what was going on in that scene. Uh, it definitely is an interesting experience in terms of watching a film. What I find is like actually knowing what uh, Howard Vernon is saying in that scene to the uh, reporter. And like where he's talking about youth culture, and he's talking about oh, yeah. like the like actually seeing that, and then seeing him kind of go up to to uh, Miss Johnson and uh, you know want to fuck her and that sort of thing. Like it informs his character in this kind of interesting way. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff that like this is a delivery system for like ketchup stained blood and tits essentially. Mm-hmm. And yet, there's so much more to this film than that. And that's that's kind of the mark of an artist. And that's mm. what draws me to this film, honestly, um, is that. It's so much more than it needs to be. I think also in terms of like the uh, the kind of flirtatious way that uh, she seduces uh, Eva Stromberg in the yeah. uh, in that sequence. You know, there's there's a a definite sense of kind of you know we're not allowed to actually talk about what we're doing, but we both know we want to fuck each other sort of right. thing. And um, you know, they, she literally invites her up like, "I've got tons of books, come on up, and I will show yeah. you my books." I got a great um, book. It's opening right now. I've, I've got a go. whole, I've got a whole library I want to show you. And, um, yeah, yeah, and uh, that that shot with the uh, the uh, the sherry glass where um, yeah, you know, where the kiss, yeah. the kiss is, uh, I think this really fascinating way of teasing the audience and um, you know again like really bold imagery. It really kind of speaks to like, I mean this is not it's not complicated to do this. But the decision to do this really like speaks to the film. I also just love the fact that it's fundamentally like how easy would it be to make a film that was about this unjustly killed guy who's you know, and then his wife goes out and kills these bad people. But to invert that and make her evil mm-hmm. is, I think, a, an interesting choice. You know, um, especially since it's all in German, which yeah. uh, you know, really, I, I don't know. Was, like, was that, what it, was that what it was? It was in German, and it was my subtitles were French. Okay. There's one of the other ones that I couldn't fucking remember because I have a couple of Jean Roland films that are in, that are all subtitled or in French and then subtitled in German too. So I don't know what's going on in any and of these films. The I just version, look for tits. The version I watched was in German with uh, English subtitles. Okay. So. I need to buy this film then because uh, I need to get some of that more plot other than just the sex and the killing, which I'm mm-hmm. fine with. But if I can get more, hey, that's great. Like a lot of his films, there's uh, different cuts out there. You, you can find uh, anything from about 70 to 80 minutes, depending on what release you find. It's, this this one isn't really cut down all that badly. I think there might be a couple cuts that cut most of the nudity out and stuff, but that's about it. Probably U.S. cut probably does that. This film actually borrows a lot from his earlier films, like uh, Diabolical. Called Doctor Z, uh, Miss uh, Mutra, I guess yeah. uh, this is the way you pronounce it. The Bride wore black, and one I've seen that I like, uh, Venus and Furs, starring Klaus Kinski, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. Well, that's definitely one on my to watch list then. Actually, yeah, let me and, add it right now. Yeah, it's it's got uh, it's it's got similar sort of revenge plots. Uh, uh, the idea of a group of people killing someone and then someone taking revenge on them and stuff like that. So uh, a lot of that stuff, a lot of the ideas Franco had 
in, in those early films is sort of brought to the forefront here and made better, I think, to a certain degree. This was released on DVD in 2000 by Synapse Films. Severn Films uh, recently released this uh, April 14th, 2015 for Blu-ray in the United States, so you can find it there. Uh, this is definitely one to look out for. There, there's a lot of good stuff going on in this film. This is probably his most coherent production, honestly, for, for me, honestly. Uh, I've, like I said, this is my favorite one I've seen from him. If um, you speak German, you can watch this on YouTube. Like, you, you can literally yeah. just sit and watch it. Um, there's like four versions on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, it's, it's all over the place. Um, the, the hard part for me was finding a version that I could sync with the subtitles. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, I do have a question, though. Uh, when he seduces uh, Eva Stromberg up into the apartment, and she's posing as this... Basically, she's posing as a lesbian painter. Did mm-hmm. she actually paint those paintings, or did she buy them? I, I, that's up to an interpretation of the viewer, I think, you know, ultimately. Yeah. Because you know, I, um, I, I, I I like the idea that she she's been planning this revenge so long that she actually went and painted these amazing paintings and set them up in the in well, the apartment. You don't really get a sense of her background, but I mean, obviously, if she's married to this like kind of handsome doctor, this this kind of brilliant scientist guy, um, this even if he's like doing awful things, I mean, you I think you get the sense that he is legitimately brilliant, and she's not just arm candy. Like she actually has, I mean, she she planned out all this stuff. She's doing all this stuff, and I have no problem believing. You know, I mean, ultimately, I mean, it's it's there, it's superfluous, but I have no problem believing that she actually does read this stuff, and she has all these books, and she painted these paintings, and it's just like this is like, this this she, is a, a a peek into her real life. I mean. Yeah. She doesn't I, just I, spend her time working at Walmart or anything. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I would believe that she legitimately is trying to seduce this woman. I kind of believe that. That moment feels authentic, even though she has ulterior motives, I guess, is kind of where I'm landing. Although, I will say it's kind of jarring. At the end, the, the final person she goes after, of course, is uh, Jess Franco's char- character. <laughs> and, and it's like Jess Franco comes into his house and finds this woman dead on the floor. It's like, my wife! You yeah. had no idea I had a wife throughout the entire. I film. I literally I literally went and like googled like was I supposed to know who this person was? Yeah. Um, and she looks similar enough to uh, to. Uh, I to thought Miranda. it was really and, uh, I thought it was like did did we did we did she die? Like did she kill herself? And this and like are we basically running on this like logic of like she then frames. Uh, Jess Franco for the uh, murders? Yeah. Uh, no, he has another. He has another uh, fate. Uh, at hand, uh, probably the uh, you know if I'm gonna die, there are worse ways. Let's just leave yeah. it at that. And you know, kudos to uh, Jess Franco for hey, if I'm gonna have if my character's gonna have a wife in this film and it can't be Soledad Miranda, I'm gonna get one who looks just like her. And stick <laughs> exactly. her in there for... <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna tie myself to a chair and have uh, Soledad Miranda just uh, rub herself all over me. No, no, do it and do it longer. We, I put a 20-minute mag in that camera. Just keep going. We're yeah, good. Just, just, just keep going. No stabbing yeah. yet. No stabbing I want to make yet. sure I get this right, so just keep filming. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, just Franco, you lovely, perverted, perverted man. You. Yes. All right, so I think we've basically said all we need to say about this one. This one's definitely highly recommended, so uh, we can move on to the next one from 1974, A Virgin Among the Living Dead. <laughs>
directed by Jess Franco. Uh, depending on what version you watch, also there are inserts by Gene Rowland from years later, and uh, there are some additional sequences from someone called Pierre Curut, uh, who I've never heard of, and uh, written by Jess Franco and Paul de Ailes. Uh, this one stars Christina Von Blanc as Christina Benson, Brett Nichols as Carmency, uh, uh, Rosa Polymore as Aunt Abigail, uh, Anne Libert as the Queen of the Night, Howard Vernon as Uncle Howard, Paul Muller as Esterno Pablo Renier, uh, who is Christina's father in the, mm -hmm. in the film, uh, uh, Jess Franco as Basillo and uh, Nicole Gertrude uh, or Gertard as the female doctor. And also, if you've watched the extended version with a lot of inserts in it of the erotic kind, Alice mm -hmm. Arno is the princess of eroticism. Mm -hmm. And I'll hand it over to you, Daniel, to try to describe the plot on this fucking one. Do it! So, this is a film where the uh, lovely young Christina... Uh, who lives in an English boarding school, finds that her uh, her father has passed away and um, now needs to uh, go to a reading of the will to her uh, distant relatives, whom she has not met before, apparently, wanders into this uh, kind of stately mansion uh, where uh, crazy fucking things are happening. There is a lot of uh, conflation of uh, decadent uh, European sexuality with a decadent European um, bloodsuckery. There is uh, a lot of uh, kind of repressed gothic horror. Some incest themes happen. Um, there is uh, Jess Franco himself as a, a man who uh, at one point tries to uh, point at a rat, a dead rat, and I think he probably fucked it. Um, that's just sort of the way this film goes. Um, and uh, some vaguely... Uh, some, some very fascinating imagery that has very little connection with any kind of semblance of a plot happens. And then at the end, possibly Christina either goes mad or is taken over by supernatural powers, uh, or both. It's, it's left ambiguous, and I think that the lake from Zombie Lake appears in this film. So, I am um, almost 100% certain that that is true. Yeah, the award for best fake cough goes to... Comancia! <laughs> That was horrible. That's the worst part of the film. I hate it. <laughs> but yeah, this this one's an interesting production. It's a Spanish-French production this mm -hmm. time around. Uh, this one goes by a lot of different fucking names. You thought fucking the first one had a couple different versions. This one is chopped to shit and released over and over again. It's known as A Come Apocalypse, uh, Among the Living Dead, Christina Chez la Morts Vivantes, Christina Princess de l'Eroticism, Christina Sex Princess, uh, Le Labyrinth, La Nuit de Etole Filante, Los Sunos Ratos de Christine, Zombie 4, and Zombie Holocaust. Mm -hmm. Which confuses me because I've seen another film called, called Zombie, Zombie Holocaust, yep. Dr. Butcher, M.D. That, and I was going to say, that's actually not the real name of that film either. It's Dr. Yeah. Butcher, M.D., yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Uh, this this was released uh, in 1978. Later on, as uh, I Deserti Erotica de Christine with the new insert featuring Alice Ar Ar Arno, uh, which are basically just basically a lot of softcore sex with uh, body doubles to uh, sort of sub in for Howard Vernon, thankfully, and some of the other cast members who you know weren't around to refilm shit ten years later, or well four years later, I guess. But uh, yeah, this one is. 
where the first one had a comprehensible plot that you could follow all the way through. This one is full of dream imagery and confusing bullshit that I could not follow even after watching it twice through today and watching it previously earlier this week. And, uh, yeah, I'll just throw over to any of you guys for thoughts for this one at first because uh, I was thoroughly confused by this film. So You started off, Dana. You're good at this. Where I land on this one is uh, the plot is not the point. And the way I know the plot is not the point is, A, it's completely incomprehensible, and B, um, so the whole reason she's brought into this manor, this house, is to read the will. And the reading of the will is the intentionally most boring section oh, of bullshit. Oh, God, is that bad? That is so it's, bad. I mean, I, I wonder, like, I kind of land on, I think it's intentionally bad, because, like, Franco himself, Franco's character is, like, falling asleep during the... And I think that's him, like, winking at the audience, going, like, yes, I know, you don't, you're not here for this. You, mm-hmm. We don't care. Like, the whole point of this film is the uh, surreal, almost Unshin Andalou uh, style, um, just surreal imagery. Um, well, and, and ultimately, the film lands on, I mean, the last 20 minutes or so really delivers that, you know, like, like there is some really striking imagery in the last 20 minutes. So I think going into this and looking at a plot is not the point. I think it, really what you're supposed to do is to be swept up in this kind of situation and this kind of general, like, decadence and uh, the mistress who's, like, literally chewing on the blind girl's breasts and, you know. Yeah. It's less about a story and more about, like, oh, my God, I ended up in this place and, like, what the fuck is going on? Like, that's the whole... Uh, I was going to say, even the first entrance into the, you know, you get into the family and start talking to the Uncle Howard, it's just, it's so over the top and, and kind of disconnected from real humanity. I mean, you like, it's just so, it's like, what am I actually watching here? Like... The, the the contact between her trying to be a human and say, hi, it's my uncle, you know, and he's just, like, going off on these tangents about what he's playing and this. And he's, li- he's literally quoting from the Bible. He's quoting he's from uh, the Proverbs, right? Or Isaac, yeah, yeah. Isaac. Yeah. yeah. Verse 777, something like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, ultimately, it's just, uh, you know... It it feels almost like it's it's just assembled out of somebody just threw ideas at a screen and or you know and just picked them out randomly and it it's just sort of like oh this would be a creepy image and and there's no point um I I showed a little bit of this to a, a friend of mine um just kind of like I was like oh I'm doing this like 70s horror film that was you know this like, German horror film for the podcast tonight and she came over and. I just kind of threw it on and was like, oh, yeah, let's get past the first 20 minutes and get into – just watch the imagery. And she's like, so how are these people related? I'm like, that's not the point. Don't – just don't, yeah, don't like, worry about it. Don't worry about it. Like, it's crazy. Like, the whole point is, like, you see a woman in this film, you're going to get to see her tits later. That's the that's the point of this film. And Bush. And Bush yeah. in, in, in the case, yeah. That, that will reading here's, – here's the thing. It's not even a long, drawn-out, boring will reading. Because with the English dubbing, the guy is trying to throw so much information in quickly right. to catch up with the lips. It is amazing how something so quickly read can be so fucking boring. It becomes a Micro Machine commercial. I wonder if listening to this or watching it with the uh, in the original language, like watching it in German... And then uh, with subtitles, I wonder if you'd be able to follow the plot better. I wonder if it's like a bad dubbing just kind of distracts so much from this film that it's just... Because I did watch this one, 
I watched it once last week, but I was drinking, and I was drinking fairly heavily and just kind of lost track of everything. Right, yeah, that's um, basically so every time I've watched this film, I've done that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then I rewatched it sober um, over the course, like, kind of, like, 30 minutes at a time. Just kind of, like, yeah, it's, like, I kind of get generally kind of what's going on, but, like, there's there's a long sequence where she goes swimming in the nude, and I'm like, and then yeah. these two guys show up, and I'm yeah. like, oh, it's a girl! What happened again? Like, why are yeah. we, you know... And I think it's supposed to represent, like, the, the way that the kind of villagers feel about this yeah. kind of, yes. like, yeah. abstract family kind of... I, I was just about to say, is this... On the hill, you know? Is this the part where the villagers get their pitchforks and torches? I don't... What's going to happen here, yeah. people? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I kind of feel like it's it's there's a lot of implication, and I, I mean, I feel like the 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 writing just kind of like it it's trying to play with some imagery, but it just kind of doesn't like there's not quite enough connective tissue. The biggest yeah. thing that I liked about the film is I thought it was going to be another generic zombie film when I first bought it because I bought it as Zombie Four. It says it on the VHS that I have it's Zombie Four version of the Living Dead, and then it's like, oh no, it's kind of like this nuancey gothic horror vampire thing, you know, stuck in a dream. And I'm like, okay, that's better. I like that better. So the version you watched, did it actually have the zombie inserts into it, Paul? No, no it doesn't have any zombie inserts because mine is, I, I guess it's because it's an old VHS, they just use the stock cover. Mm-hmm, because they, but, did, they did do that. Uh, I've seen instances people say, like, they were really confused because they bought it thinking there were zombies in it, and then they got, like, the U.S cut version or whatever, or they got some of the original version that had no zombies in it at all. It, it does have a picture of the zombie on the back of the sleeve case. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it yeah, does. Um, uh, I actually had two versions of this, and one was a longer version, which might have had that, but I put it in the VHS player. It started I start, It started the film, and I heard, yeah, and then it popped, and all the, it just broke my film in half. So apparently, that wasn't the one I was meant to watch. Apparently not. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but the the producer def- basically re-released this and uh, got Gene Rowland to direct and add new footage to this, which is all the zombie footage. And this was right around the same time they were doing Zombie Lake. And I and I, I don't think the uh, the pond sequences were filmed at that point. I think they were definitely still filmed back in '74 or three or whatever. But they obviously used the same fucking locations that they did uh, years ago when they did the reshoots. I really like the shots where with her father with with the rope around his neck where he peers to oh, her. Oh, no, that's that's creepy. Oh, yeah, no, no, that's that's as creepy as fuck. Oh, actually, I love it. I, his his uh, his leaving there from the table is awesome. Yes, I was about to say that is like an awesome shot. Like actually, I was like, okay, this is the best shot in the film where mm-hmm. the the mistress of the night or whatever comes and grabs him and just slowly pulls him back. And I was like, I, wow. I was. I was strangely reminded of like the old uh, the old um, Christmas story um, Christmas Carol film with the, the ghost uh, visiting and stuff. It had that oh, yeah. creepy atmosphere to it that I liked so much. I was like, I'd love this if this was black and white right now. Be even yeah, cooler. Yeah, no, I I actually this film would probably work better in black and white. Honestly, I, I think it would. Uh, yeah, it, it does it does it does have that sort of sort of uh, '60s Mario Bava gothic vibe in it mm-hmm. a little bit. You you get that stuff because it's you know the weird family, the estranged family, weird characters that the villagers shun, that that whole kind of idea, and and mm-hmm. someone some innocent person walking into a fate that they can't change and stuff like that. Like those those are all sort of gothic tropes that are definitely used in this film. But of course they throw in all the dream imagery and well, all the, the sex. I, as soon as I saw the the the, the dark haired really actually really hot 
you know, mistress of the night, you know, doing the the magic, like the seance almost to us herself at the first, mm-hmm. the beginning of the film. It reminded me, me of Bay of Blood with the other um, woman from Bay of Blood and the way she does her seances and stuff. It reminded me of that a little bit at first. Well, I don't think that was that the version that we watched, Dan. I don't remember that. I don't, I don't remember that, but I don't remember Bay of Blood all that well. Honestly, yeah. so all I know is this guy has smashed some hard black penises in my time too. So don't worry about oh, it. Oh God, yeah, you, you smashed the, the the black phallus. The black be- phallus, you will yeah. doom yourself and get luck that is bad. Oh, yeah. good for you. That is horrible. Yeah, God, no. I've, I've always had good luck smashing some big black cocks. I don't know. I'm very good at it. Every time I have a black cock in my life, I just say treat it nicely, and don't, you know don't. life will be better. That's that's just sort of. <laughs> that is the line that made the movie for me. Honestly, so this, should that, this be the tagline? Should this really be the tagline? Like the subtitle for the film? Once you smash black, you never go back because <laughs> that's, that's once it. She, once she does that, she sets herself on a course for. Oh, you will misery. be doomed. Yeah. What kind uh, of luck? bad luck? Oh, what kind of bad luck? Really bad luck. Because, uh, like, mentioning, like, the final scene where she goes down into the pond with uh, the mistress of the Darker, or, Dark, yeah. yeah, whatever her name is, that reminded me of, like, a Fulci ending. Like, that felt directly like a Fulci sort of ending to a film. Um, my stomach turned because I thought Bob would be in there for a second. Ooh! <laughs> Thanks. Bob? Thanks. Bob? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's going to haunt me now. Oh, thanks a lot. But this was this was pre Fulci horror too, so it's yeah, like I wonder, wonder if Fulci kind of seen this one and was like, yeah, I like that kind of weird, mysterious, amb- ambiguous ending. Let's put that in all my films in the yeah. 80s. I mean, it was it that it, the, the end of this film is completely a mental clusterfuck, and I kind of like it that way. Yeah, I mean, it, it reminds me. I mean, there are all kinds of films that just sort of like end on this surreal note, and I mean, this is this is really something where. I think it really is just meant to be a series of, of vaguely connected imagery. It's, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be kind of a descent into madness. Sort well, of. yeah, I really didn't. I really didn't want a hammer horror ending where you beat the ba- the vampires. You you did this. I don't need that. I've had that too many times, you know. So I like the fact that this was more of a mind fuck. This is almost um, this is almost like Carnival of Souls to a certain degree. Would you have you have you seen that, Paul? Carnival of Souls. I've seen it a couple times. Unfortunately, again, shit faced. I own it in like seventeen different. Format, so I should be able to watch it one of these days sober. But that—that's kind of what the ending reminded me of. Like it's kind of left up in the air of whether she was even maybe even dead at the start of the film, you know, right to a certain degree, right? So, um, it, it, I sort of got that vibe, and I don't know, maybe I was just kind of watching this film and trying to pull like better films into it and try to compare just to make me enjoy it a bit better. Well, but... I could definitely see this film could expand on itself more and be a little longer. And get a little bit more into depth and plot of how you know who killed the father and this and that and why. But if you explain it too much, you might lose some of the mystique and atmosphere and weirdness of the film. Yeah, because the the, the base uh, original cut of this film, like the director's cut of this film, is essentially like seventy two, seventy six minutes, something like that. Like that that was that yeah, was it's barely over an hour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When they did the inserts, especially the uh, soft core scenes that they stuck into it, uh, it go, they they run it up to ninety minutes. So there, there's like a, there's almost a half hour of extra shit thrown into this when they did the 
did the re, uh, re-releases. Uh, it was released in VHS in the United States by Wizard Video, which was uh, Charles Band's old uh, ah. VHS release company that he sort of revived in later in years. Full Moon? Yeah, yes. Full Moon. The film was released on DVD in the United States by Image Entertainment, which is sort of a low-budget uh, release company in 2003. Um, but they do some pretty good DVD releases, or they did anyway. I don't know if they're still doing them or not anymore. August 20, 2013 was a Blu-ray uh, release uh, from Redemption uh, Video, I guess. There is a detailed list of the uh, erotic version of this film and the zombie version of this film, but uh, fuck it, I, I won't get into it. If you if people are really interested, then you look up this information on IMDb. But uh, there, there are some vastly different versions of this film, and... Really, if you if you can find them and watch them, it's up to you to decide which is the better version. Uh, this this film, honestly, I can't say I'd recommend it. No, it's just a little too bereft of meat, and it's a little too confusing. There's some cool there's some cool stuff. Like I said, yeah. the stuff with her father with the rope around his neck showing up and talking to her. Just shit. if if you get it in front of you, watch the last twenty minutes. Like you know, yeah. just like you you won't miss anything really. I mean, there's some nudity. I mean, there's some. There's some cool images here and there. There's some cool stuff, but it's it's ultimately not a movie. It's it's mm-hmm. just a sequence of kind of cool images. So yeah. just turn it on, turn the sound off, enjoy. Like that's that's the that's that's what this if, film is. Uh, Carmencia didn't have such a so much of a horse face. It'd be a bit, little bit better. I mean, she did have a little. <laughs> horse face. I, I wonder if some of these films worked better in drive-in. Like like the whole the oh, whole probably. thing was to go. Yeah, like you're not really paying attention. You're you're making out during the movie, and so you just kind of look up and go like, "Oh, creepy," and then that's you know that's it. You know, so oh, it, so. it, it's it's oh creepy, and then you hold her close and you look up. Oh, naked. You want to do anything? Yeah, sure. Okay, then you do it. Then you come back. Oh, creepy again. Woohoo! We're gonna get. Yeah, like uh, they're having sex up in the screen. Let's do this in the car. Okay. Look yeah. back up five minutes later. Oh, she's stabbing him in the groin. You want to do that part? Yeah, I really yeah. do, honey. <laughs> ah! Maybe that part doesn't work so much, but... Uh, yeah, not so much. Um, you can find a pen knife somewhere, you know? I mean, that, if that's your thing, we don't we don't uh, judge on this podcast. Rip no, no, shirt, no, no. Rip your shirt off, cut your tit, be like, suck on it, you know you want to. Blood's good. Mm. Actually, I actually forgot to mention that uh, in, in the uh, previous film, I, I liked how Howard Vernon's character was kind of like a secretly a sadomasochist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, hit me, beat me. And yes. she's like, okay, I'm right, I'm right into that, because that's what I was going to fucking do to you anyway, bitch. Well, thanks because you know you're making my job easier. Yep. It wasn't she. Wasn't she uh, on top of them, calling them names like pigs and whores and sluts? Yeah. And, see, how how do I get that to happen? I need to. Yeah. That. Never mind. You need to get on a medical board and disgrace a young doctor of an attractive wife. I'm doing it right now, son. Right yeah. fucking now. But uh, yeah, so uh, I think. I think we said all we need to really say about these two films. Um, I didn't. I, unfortunately, I didn't say much. It's been a long time since I've watched these films. No, you said more than you usually do, so that's fine. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know what we're going to be doing the next uh, couple episodes. Uh, we have a master list now that we're sort of adding to every once in a while, so I think maybe we'll pick from something from there. Episode 50, uh, the official episode 50. I know it says like we have like, 56 or something now on the on the site, but those are the unofficial episodes. Out of the official episodes, our episode 50 is going to be the big one. It's going to be Dawn of the Dead. We're going to be talking about the 1978 Dawn of the Dead, George Romero. Uh, that's probably going to be a big podcast. going to be long. 
lots of music bites, uh, sound bites stuck in, and all that shit. So it's gonna be. And I fun. will, I will watch it. Yeah, and Dan and uh, Dan's gonna watch uh, at least one version of the film, and Paul has been uh, trying to track down the different versions of the film and actually watch them. So he's actually doing research for this one, guys. So you actually definitely want to listen to that podcast I, and hear that. I have actually watched all four versions that are on the DVD of uh, Dawn of the Dead, uh, okay. but that was. Uh, Back in I guess 2007 or so, yeah. when I uh, I actually uh, got the DVD from Netflix at that point. I don't I don't own that DVD or I would just watch at least two versions of it. But uh, I'm planning on just probably watching the theatrical cut because I don't know I've watched them all. There's not that much of a difference. It's just sort of like yeah. I mean it's interesting, but it's not. I, I like, like to watch you know. the one extended version so I get to see um, Captain Rhodes playing a security guard. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, like we'll get we'll we'll get into that in the actual episode. But uh, I, I unfortunately I was very upset. I got the version of it where it is uh, Argento and Romero together in the same DVD. No, oh, yeah. And, and my friend sent it to me, and it's the wrong region. I can't play it. So. Oh shitty. I kind of wanted to listen to all the like Goblin Chaos, but oh well. Yeah. yeah. Oh well. But uh, yeah, we're gonna be getting to that. So we'll go to Daniel. Tell everyone about your Doctor Who podcaster. Absolutely. Uh, you can, if you like listening to me talk about, well, I don't talk about any of this stuff on my Doctor Who podcast, but uh, if you like talking and listening to me talk about weird shit um, and you're a Doctor Who fan, a classic new series, uh, you can go to oispaceman, that's oispaceman, all one word, .com, and uh, check out the podcast I do with my wife, and we talk about kind of weird politics and um, sexy stuff, and Doctor Who, that's kind of what we do. We did... Uh, I had a very, uh, very uh, overtly sexual thing I said about uh, Peter Capaldi and Matt Smith on a, a recent episode. So uh, go back and check out our Husbands of River Song episode to uh, find out what I had to say. And uh, Paul, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, right now you can check me out on YouTube on PA Brew News and on Facebook PA Brew News for beer and whatnot, etc. Then the other thing would be uh, Funeral Dust 666 on YouTube for some underground black metal right now. Back Mountain Arts and Crafts on Facebook for artsy craftsy stuff. Bye. Cool. And uh, the bumper at the end of this, uh, we're going to go with some uh, music. And uh, Daniel uh, thankfully supplied me with the link so I didn't have to go search for it, but it was the one I intended to use. So, uh, we're going to couple pieces of music from um, oh, uh, Manfred Hubler and Siggy Schwab, who did uh, uh, the, the music as well for uh, Vampiros Lesbos. Uh, they followed through again for She Killed in Ecstasy, so we're going to use a couple selections from that. Stick it in there. Hopefully YouTube won't be a bitch and uh, mute, mute the uh, YouTube version <laughs> like they did for our uh, best of <laughs> episode. Oh, they, had to, <laughs> oh, they did, son of a yeah, bitch. Yeah, I had, I had to fucking re-upload it and put a different piece of music in. But, uh, yeah, so that that will be that. Uh, at the bumper, you'll get all the information, where to go, where to find us on Podbean. From Podbean, you can find us on fucking iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review. Give us a great review or a shitty review. We'll read it on the fucking uh, podcast, man. You'll be famous. You'll be famous for crapping on this podcast. So uh, thanks, everyone, for uh, listening. And uh, we will be back next week, hopefully, with uh, another fine episode. Uh, thank and you, Daniel. And Paul. maybe a movie god. Maybe a movie god. Maybe yeah. a movie god. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, we didn't want to stick one in this time around because we figured we'd have enough to talk about. So there we go. Good night, guys. Thanks a lot. Bye! Guys.
begehen Gotteslästerung. Scharlatan. Johnson, Sie sind ein Verbrecher. Ausgestoßen. Man müsste Sie umbringen. Sie sind ein Tier, Johnson. Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on site. For our other episodes, links to Daniel, Paul, and Lee's other stuff, and links to some great podcasts of similar interest, visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can leave us comments on the site or directly email us. We listen and respond to everything. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs>